The Washington Mystics are getting help from everywhere. Jen Hatfield, who covers them for the next, is here to talk about it. Lockdown Women's Basketball starts now. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, hi there and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, thanking you for making us your first listen every day. Make sure you are subscribing to us on YouTube, everywhere you can get your podcasts. And of course, make sure you're reading the amazing work being done by the staff of The Next, thenexthoops.com. We're $9 a month, 72 a year for over 100 reported pieces across the women's basketball landscape, roughly half of them written by Jen Hatfield, who joins us. Jen, ahead of Thursday, which is camp day, what precautions are you taking to make sure that when you are surrounded for what is an 11 a.m. start, I believe, for the Washington Mystics, that your ears are appropriately protected? You know, it's hard to say whether I should just buy the best earplugs on the planet or give myself some noise exposure to build up my tolerance. Who's to say? I mean, there are a lot of options, which is a wonderful thing about life. I did mention, and we talked about this a little bit off the air, that the Mystics, just for your own sake, need to do it the way the Liberty did last week at Camp Day when we had the podcast, of course, with Jackie Powell, live from Barclays. By falling behind by 25 points quickly, the children were just more like sad and disappointed, and no, no one's hearing was really affected by it. But it doesn't seem like the Mystics are playing that way lately. They've been a little bit up and down in their past couple. You know, they just got a big win over Minnesota, but they lost to Phoenix. They beat L.A. before that. So they've been a little bit inconsistent, but this is kind of the stretch run of their season, and they're looking at it as an opportunity for them with a lot of home games left on their schedule and and a lot of practice time compared to the first half of the season. So the hope is that it will be a very consistent upward trajectory from here to the playoffs. We have a lot to talk about, of course, today. We're going to talk about what is ahead for the Mystics over that final stretch of the season. I want to get into a little bit about what has helped them to cement themselves in the clear first tier of the WNBA. And, of course, that is everything from uh, people helping them big, Elena Deladon, to small, Rui Machida. And so first place to start is, they're five and four over their past nine, but they have cemented themselves in the top five in the eyes of a lot of people. Is that where you see them is very much in that group with Seattle, with Connecticut, uh, with Chicago, with Las Vegas? I do. Um, I think there's a there's a pretty big gap in the standings. I haven't looked at it today after the midday game, but there is a decent sized gap that they've carved out um, with between fifth and sixth in the standings. So you can look at it that way. And then there's also the, the factor that no matter what you think right now, they're going to have a big opportunity to prove whether they are or are not in that tier because they have four games straight against Seattle, two against Seattle, one against Vegas, and one against Chicago coming up at the end of the month. So they're going to, have, they're going to be able to, to prove – they're going to be able to answer that question one way or another. There are some numbers I want to sort of lay down here. 
and then hear what your thoughts are about all of it. But the number one, and, and this is what is most interesting to me, is this is a team that is winning with defense, not with offense. You know, we both covered that 2019 Washington Mystics team where Mike was very upfront about it, saying we need to be good enough defensively. And at the offensive end, this is how we're going to win a championship. And they were as effective on the offensive end as any team's been in WNBA history. But you look now, 16 and 11, how they get there? Well, their offensive rating is eighth overall, but they are second on the defensive side. And obviously a critical reason for that is Alicia Clark, who was not a member of that 2019 team, but is here now. Those of you who haven't seen it, make sure you check out what Jen Hatfield did. It's amazing. It's just tracing the story of Alicia Clark's defensive prowess through the years, you know, through college, right on through her early times, right into her peak years in Seattle and somehow years that are every bit as good here in D.C. But do you think, and it just feels like a very strange question to ask, do the Washington Mystics have enough offensively to truly be an elite contender for the championship? I think they're going to get there in the playoffs. So the defense is actually very intentional, which is funny because Mike Thibault doesn't have a reputation as a defense first coach. He he focuses on offense. He'll often draft players for offense and then kind of bring along their defense as it goes. Um, but this offseason with limited money he could spend, he did focus on that on that defensive side a little bit. He signed players like Elizabeth Williams. Um, and then he drafted Shakira Austin, who is, you know, a much more advanced prospect defensively than offensively, a player who t- just today he told reporters that he thinks that Shakira Austin can be a mainstay on the all defensive team at some point in her WNBA career. So they've got this very intentional foundation of defense with three players in the starting lineup who have been on all defensive teams, plus Williams coming off the bench. Plus, there's no real weak link in their defense, even among the players who have not won um, all defensive honors. You know, Elena Deladon has improved every year of her career defensively, if you ask anyone in the Mystics organization, but doesn't really get the attention for that because her offense is just so superlative. You know, Maisha Hines-Allen is a useful defender. Um, all of them benefit from going against Latoya Sanders every day at practice, who was kind of the Shakira Austin of the 2019 team, if you will, um, and still gives them fits as an assistant coach in practice and even even pregame I've seen it um, so you know there's no real weak links on that team they're all bought in defensively they're all communicating they they actually communicate too much for coach T's liking at times too many voices which is kind of a you know an abundance of riches problem that I bet a lot of coaches would like to have that is very true I I don't think I have heard Sandy Brondello say that in market here in New York once that they are communicating too much on uh, either end of the floor. Uh, you know, full disclosure about that. And we just would be remiss. We're talking about Elena from a defensive perspective. And I agree with that. I think, I think that's very true. And that's been amid obviously trying to navigate back issues that you would think would make it more difficult for her. Uh, but that hasn't been the way it's gone down. But I just, I, you know, I've been taking a look periodically at her numbers over the course of the season, and I just want to lay these down. She is shooting 52.2% from two. She is shooting 41.7% from three. 
she's shooting an uncharacteristically low 88.9% from the free throw line. When I say uncharacteristically low, it's worth remembering she is a career 93.7% free throw shooter. So I guess the thing that sticks out to me is Elaine is basically on pace for all but another 50-40-90 season. You wrote a great piece earlier this year about Elena is the same but different, talked about the ways in which her game has evolved uh, out of necessity and also at the same time ways in which it is classic and the way it is the same as ever. Do you see her differently than you did, say, even a few games ago, or is this more the same? You know, I think this really answers the previous question of whether the Mystics have enough offense to win a championship, right? If, if the Mystics plan continues to go according to plan, which is that Elena will play in more and more games during the home stretch and, and be ready for the playoffs, then I think with Elena Deladon, they absolutely have enough offense to win a championship because Elena is playing at such a similar level to her 2019 self, even if she's doing it a little bit differently. She's a little bit of a smarter player now. She uses her body differently. She's more efficient. Um, lots of broadcasters and analysts like to talk about how slow she is um, in that she's not going to beat you with her first step necessarily, but she's so deliberate. She has an intentional pace. You're never going to speed her up. She's going to get to the moves that she wants to get to. She's just not going to be in any hurry to get there. Um, so she's still just as effective and that pump fake still sends people flying. So um, I think she's, She's very much the same player that she was with a few tweaks and improvements and maturations in her game, which is, you know, I would say it's a miracle that we can say that after all that she's been through. Oh, it is absolutely miraculous. And I've said this to you before off the air, and I've said this other places as well. You just don't know how long you get with somebody with a degenerative back condition. It is unfair to the basketball world that somebody with the talent of Elena Deladon has not had the health to match. So we would have a chance to see her fully over the course of what should have been an even longer career and a career with fewer uh, hiccups in between, let us say, but it is miraculous. And yes, the way you describe it, I always think of her as inevitable. She's just, she's going to get, she's going to get, and it's going to happen. And, uh, but it is each, each, one is its own miracle in much the same way that each coconut brownie chun puff brought to you by built bar is its own miracle what i mean healthy yes tasty yes healthy and tasty just uh, ridiculous it's an- another gift to your taste buds brought to you by the built bar people coconut brownie chunk has now been given the puffs treatment it's deliciously chewy marshmallow it's covered in a hundred percent real chocolate it's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. I can tell you, if it's anything like these, this is the cookie dough chunk puffs. Well, these are amazing. These, I, I had one three hours ago. It helped get me through a couple of stories and edit. I got to write a story. Now I'm recording a podcast based on the energy that I got from this. You know what I'm doing after we finish the podcast? I got a couple more stories to write. Another bar, another built bar. It's how I'm going to get there which is delightful. So again, they're all made with collagen protein. Your body absorbs it more efficiently. It provides a ton of health benefits. You're eating something that tastes good. I mean, really good and is good for you. I grabbed that while I could because I got a family that eats built bars every day. 
every day. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That's promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off your order. And Jen, when you do it, I know you're going to do it. Who sent you? Tell the people who sent you to built.com. Definitely don't forget to tell them that Grandma Myrna sent you. Don't do it. Do not forget. So speaking to someone who assists in ways that are delightful to all around her, I want to talk about Rui Machida, if we could, because you wrote a terrific piece about her. Uh, She is not the tallest player in the WNBA, but she might be the most beloved based on what you saw. Take me through what that process has been like as she's made her way here and been a critical part of the emotional component of the Washington Mystics here. Yeah, Howard, how much time do we have? There's there's a lot in that question. But yeah, Rui Machida was signed before the season. She's on a one-year deal. This is her first season outside of Japan. She's played professionally there for years and is also a member of the Japanese national team, has been to two Olympics. Most notably, if you watched last summer's Olympics, you saw a lot of Rui Machida um, set the single single-game assist record in the Olympics. Um, had a phenomenal tournament. But the Mystics had been watching her for years before then, and the timing just wasn't right with national team obligations. Mystics fans know what that's like with Emma Miesemann, kind of a similar thing with Rui Machida, just waiting for the right time where she wouldn't have to miss a good chunk of the year with Mm -hmm. international commitments and would be willing to come and resettle and kind of, you know, overhaul her life for to play in the WNBA. So she came over... Sorry. No, I, I just just in terms of what the production has been so far, there have been obviously some downsides to what you're seeing. You can see the obvious skill that goes along with it. The shooting uh, specifically from three, but uh, throughout is is below 30 percent. But Mike continues to put her out there. Mike continues to use her. And she's even started a couple of games. Uh, I'm curious whether you think you're seeing her development the way you hoped uh, that you would. And then we should get into, obviously, the things that she's doing particularly well. Sure. Yeah. So she started two games when Natasha Cloud was in COVID protocols in May. And she is the backup point guard off the bench for Cloud, but can also play alongside Cloud and bump Cloud to the two because Cloud is six feet tall, has great size, can can play alongside Machida and actually told me the other day that she hopes she can play more with Machida because she likes playing with her so much. So Rui's, uh, you know, versatile in that way in the sense that, you know, she may only play one position, but she can combine with a lot of different players very effectively for the Mystics. And the thing that she does best for for the Mystics is pushing the pace. She pushes the pace more than Natasha Cloud does, which is impressive because that is something Natasha Cloud looks to do, and Natasha Cloud is not slow. Um, but Rui Machida, Cloud says, might be the fastest player in the entire league. And she is definitely a point guard who has great vision, is not afraid to throw the ball up court, a, a little bit high risk, high reward at times, um, but really good in the open floor, really effective finding people. Um, Mystics, a lot of Mystics fans have noticed her on-court connection with Elizabeth Williams mm-hmm. in the post. They play a lot of minutes together off the bench, and they just seem to find each other very well. Um, and then if you look at the assist numbers, she plays just as well with Maisha Hines-Allen off the bench, and, and their relationship off the court is probably the the highlight, at least as an observer of, of Rui's uh, incorporation into the team that I've seen so far this season. It's just a really heartwarming uh, bond between those two. 
I am struck by the turnover issue, specifically the way in which she has improved it as the season has gone on. I went back. It, it does dovetail with the things I saw. In her first 13 games, she had multiple turnovers in six of them, in six of them. And she had zero turnovers in just two of those games, or excuse me, three of those games. In the last 14, she has had zero turnovers on seven, no, scratch that, eight different occasions and multiple turnovers in just three of those games. So from that perspective, when you kind of slice and dice the data, she seems to be getting better at it. The turnover percentage as a whole is still north of 30%, which is much higher than it can be for her to be, let us say, offensively playable for an extended period of time, given the mystics, the kind of opportunity to play Natasha Cloud more at the two. Do you think she's there yet? Do you think she's at a point where, you know, because most critically for this, come playoff time, where we're going to see her get some significant minutes at the one uh, in games that are mattering that much? I think she'll get some minutes. She's not going to get DNPs. Uh, she's going to play. I think that her current average of about 13 minutes a game is about right. I don't think they need to bump that up. Um, I don't think they will bump that up because Cloud is kind of the iron woman of this rotation. Sure. Um, I think a lot of Machida's turnovers are coming uh, especially early in the season with that pattern that you were mentioning, I think a lot of those turnovers were her adjusting to how big the WNBA is. There's less space between people to thread the needle. Some passes that she made in the Japanese league or even internationally against most teams, there's just not the space for that because a lot of WNBA teams are so long. So mm -hmm. Coach T talked about this a little bit this weekend. She's the biggest area of growth for her this season has been learning what she can and can't do in the WNBA and how to get to her strengths. And I realized I didn't talk about the shooting aspect that you asked me about before. So let me touch on that just briefly. Um, all season long, the Mystics have been begging Machida to take open shots. Some games she does generally take her open shots. A lot of games she does not take open shots. She's the definition of a pass first point guard um, and she, you know, I've heard from multiple people within the organization, and I saw it a little bit myself this weekend in practice, after practice, she makes shots. She can shoot. Uh, I talked to Shelly Patterson, the Mystics assistant coach, um, who is known for working with players to improve their shot. And mm -hmm. she said that she's worked with Machida to get a hitch out of her shot, and her shot looks great. And it's just a matter of getting her to actually take the shot. Um, so they're still working with her on that. Her teammates all encourage her to shoot. Um, a couple games ago, she hit a corner three, and they went crazy. Um, you would you would think that it was a game-winning shot. Uh, they were just basically pouring off the bench at the timeout. So uh, that's going to be an ongoing process. And I think even if she takes a couple more shots, you know, bumps up her season average of two and a half field goals a game to four or five, I think that's going to make a big difference. Um, just getting teams to think, oh, she might shoot. And then we'll get to, oh, she might make it. But even just, oh, she might shoot changes how close they get and how the angles open up for other players. It sure does. It sure does. So as we're looking, they've just played a five and four stretch over the last nine. They've got nine to go. They're pretty well locked in if they 
essentially play 500 or so, you know, obviously you can't with an odd number, but give or take the rest of the way into that five seed. They'd need to go more like seven and two, eight and one to be challenging for the top four seeds, which gives them obviously potential home court advantages come playoff time and uh, a seeding that doesn't involve, among other things, playing whoever finishes fourth if they end up fifth. I give you that as all uh, a prologue to Elena Deladon has been rested strategically. Are we at the point where Elena is now she was rested in order to get to that moment? Or do you expect a continued Elena being used sporadically to make sure that come playoff time, she's ready to go? We are most, I would say we are mostly done with the strategic resting and I'm going to caveat that. Um, So first of all, the mystic schedule in general gives them more practice time going forward than they've had in the past, which in, before the All-Star break, they basically had no practice time. Games were jammed together, and they didn't want to put Elena through that. Now their their pace slows down a little bit in terms of games played, with the exception of they do have a stretch starting with a, a game at Dallas at the end of July and then going into that um, really daunting stretch that I mentioned earlier with Seattle, Seattle, Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. Those four are in a six-day span. So I, I don't think she will play use her there um, opponents should expect to see elena every night from here on out barring any setbacks or, or issues makes sense makes sense and obviously the best ball world will be happy to see it as well um well i want to thank our listeners for making us your first listen every day for your second listen i suggest you get up to date on the latest news and rumors in and, and, and Jen, this is going to sound interesting, but it's true. There's a men's professional basketball league, and I did some research about it. Apparently, there's even a team in your city. They're called the Washington Wizards. And uh, there's a report out there today that they may be a dark horse candidate for Kevin Durant, who came from the DMV. Now, Now, I looked into it. Durant apparently is a WNBA super fan, um, which is how I always thought of him. But he plays basketball, too. Did you know that? I think I would heard, had heard that. But, Howard, I'm pretty locked into the best basketball league in the world, the WNBA. So I can't really confirm. I mean, how exciting for Durant if he gets traded to D.C. and he could go to all the Mystics games all the time. I'm really You can watch Rui Machida, maybe, if who she resigns. Who wouldn't want that? So, again, Locked on NBA, your second listen every day, your daily NBA update in just 30 minutes. Jen Hatfield, thank you for all the amazing work you do. Delightful to catch up with you. We will be back with you, of course, tomorrow, dear listeners. And every weekday, thank you for making us, Locked on Women's Basketball, your first listen every day. I am Howard Meddahl wishing you a lovely Tuesday. are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.